God, I, 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 I want to say that uh, I, I would rather be with you than anywhere else. Uh, I'd rather be with you than on a motorcycle. I'd rather be with you than at an all-inclusive, all-you-can-eat-and-drink in Mexico. I'd, I'd rather be with you than at a playoff game. I, I, I'd rather be with you than anywhere else. And uh, some of us feel that right now. Some of us don't believe it. Some of us have forgotten it. I know that you're here to meet us where we are. And I pray that we would become more in tune to the reality of your presence, the reality of uh, the fact that you're not holding out on us. You're good. That's what I say. I say you're good. Amen. Hey, let's thank these guys for really taking us to, man, my goodness. Wow. Hey, why don't you go ahead and have a seat? Elbow somebody on your way down. Well, we're uh, starting this new series of uh, looking at the character and identity of God and, and how God just overflows with goodness, how He just gives grace. Grace is this commodity that only God operates in where He gives without anybody working. He overflows goodness without any of us actually earning it or even deserving it. I've been thinking about this character quality, this attribute, as it relates to my dog. I have a dog, I have a dog, Stanley, who at one point was 168 pounds. He's now down to under 120. He's had kidney failure, and now uh, we realize that uh, we're going to have to be making the unfortunate decision to put him down soon. And uh, now's the time when all the dog lovers are really depressed right now. And, um, you know, they say in Hollywood, actors never want to share the screen with an animal because the animal will always steal the scene. But uh, let's just all, those of us who are dog lovers, just on the count of three, just say aw, okay? One, two, three. Aw, aw. Yes, I do love Stanley. I'm not trying to belittle up. Have my share of tears. We'll have even more tears. But I understand that, you know, dogs can be replaced. People can't. But nonetheless, as I understand this, I'm saying, why am I so, like, bummed out about this? And I think that one of the reasons is Stanley, in some ways, embodies grace. You know, whenever I come into a room, Stanley's laying on our couch. Yes, I do allow him to lay on the couch. He's laying on the couch, and as I walk in the room, his, his tail's going, pat, pat, pat. his tail's like whapping the couch. And I can walk out of the room, and 10 minutes later, come back in the room, and he goes, you again. His tail's going as if I've been gone for 10 days. I've, uh, I, I've forgotten to feed Stanley. I've forgotten to let him out for long periods of time. And nonetheless, he thinks a million bucks. He thinks of me as like a hero. Uh, I've over-disciplined him. And he, in many ways, he's sort of an embodiment of grace. How many of us have dogs in here? How many of us? Yeah, I read some of the statistics. 70% of Americans have dogs. Amazing, amazing. How, how many of us have mothers in here? I won't ask if how many mothers are like dogs, but uh, you know, I, I think I think the number of mothers is right around hundred percent of us have had a mother or have a mother, or hundred percent of us rather. And and it's interesting that God in this verse in the Bible, I'm going to look at. I'm going to look at a number of different verses in the Bible. It's somewhat depth for us to see this through line throughout the scriptures that the God that's described in the Bible is a God that is not holding out on you, a God that will not abandon you, a God that does not want to reject you, a God that naturally overflows values and character qualities that are amazing, amazing. So in the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, the first chunk I want to look at today, and it talks about Zion. Zion is a descriptor 
for the Old Testament nation of Israel who are God's people. So whenever you see Zion, you understand these are, these are God's people. And I, I, we're going to take a look at some chunks from the Old Testament portion of the Bible. I'm going to do this strategically because there is this myth that exists that, that there is this quote-unquote God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament, as if God has a split personality disorder, as if he's schizophrenic. And as the common thinking goes, that the God of the Old Testament is just this angry God, this God that's upset, and it seems like every time one of his people speaks, his prophets speak, it's like somebody peed in their Wheaties that day, and they're just angry, they're just upset. And then there's this God of the New Testament, so the, the myth goes, that this is where the God is nice and loving, flower power God, and everything is good. And that's completely wrong, utterly wrong. We see lavish displays of love, mercy, grace, richness, abundance, generosity from God in the Old Testament. And we also see very harsh statements in the New Testament, actually statements of judgment that He is God, He is high, He is above, and He has standards for us. These, these themes go throughout both books. But take a look at this in the book of Isaiah chapter 49. But Zion said, this is people of God said, the Lord's forsaken me. Uh, the Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget, this is God speaking, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. So people say, man, you know, the way things are going in my life, I just feel like you're distant, God. You're way out there or you're holding out on me or you've, you don't even know who I am any longer. You've forgotten, you've forsaken me. God says, no, I, I haven't forgotten you. I understand you. Like a mother. Can a mother forget a child she's nursed? Now we know scientifically that there's something that happens when the mammary glands are lactating, some connection with chemicals in the brain. There is some, some scientific, some mystical, magical bond that takes place between mother and nursing child. And God says, can, can anybody deny that there is this bond that mothers will not forget, do not forget. Of course, some of us in here are going, I, actually, Brian, I, I think my mom has forgotten. Some of us have very strained relationships with our mom. Our mom is absent. Um, maybe a mom was a great mom, but she's gotten the place of altruism. Altruism. That's the word, not altruism. What's the A? Alzheimer's, there it is. Altruism, Alzheimer's, whatever it takes. <laughs> she's gotten to a place of Alzheimer's where she has literally, physically forgotten. So God says, can a mother forget there's a special bond? Yet at the same time, though she may forget, though in some situations a mom may not be a great mom or a may mo mom may forget or a mom may lose her mind, I will not forget you. God says, I'm a mom who's always on her game. I, I am a mom that has a special bond, a connection with you. I will not abandon you. It cannot happen. You are of my blood. We are bonded together in a unique way. This is good news. This is gospel. When the Bible talks about the gospel and Jesus proclaims the gospel, gospel means good news. This is good news. God will not forget you. God will not forsake you. And anybody who proclaims good news is called an evangelist. An evangelist is anybody who brings and carries good news. One of the earliest evangelists was a man who was at a battle, the Battle of Marathon, when Greece fought Persia. And when Greece held the battle, held the day, a man ran, so legend and slash history says, 26.2 miles from the Battle of Marathon into the chambers where the Greek authorities were, burst in and said, we've won, we've won. He was an evangelist. He carried the good news of their victory and said, we won in 490 B.C. And then he fell over and died. 
And some of you run marathons. I've never quite understood that. The first guy who did fell over and died. And yet we try to do that every single year. But he was an evangelist. This is not a, a religious term. This was a secular term of the ancient world. Anytime somebody would bring good news, they were an evangelist. We have evangelists today. I was watching 60 Minutes last week and there was a chef on there who kept talking about the gospel and they kept describing him as an evangelist of new culinary techniques where he's melding molecular biology with, you know, fruits and all this. It was pretty, pretty amazing. His passion... He was bringing good news of new days in culinary arts, and he was bringing, he was like an evangelist. Steve Jobs is an evangelist. He is constantly proclaiming good news that there's a brand new technological device that you must have to change your life, even though it will actually do nothing for you, and it's called the iPad. He constantly comes in. I, I like technology. I don't just, I'm sorry, I just don't get the iPad. I, I tend to agree it's an iPad at this point. But um, nonetheless, Steve Jobs is passionate. He's bringing it. He's doing that. And what is it that... In religious circles, in church circles, whenever somebody tends to talk about the gospel, it's the gospel, they're loud and they're angry and they're anal and the gospel. Or anybody who's evangelist is somebody who is on a street corner with a cardboard box telling you you're going to hell and God hates you. Or, or anytime somebody's, it, it, well, well, how is it that people who understand the God of the Bible say they understand the God of the Bible, there's just not that much good news about them. They, no one's told their face that it's good news. They, they bring always bad news. They bring anality. That just doesn't make, make sense. All of us know evangelists of good news, right? You know, you know people who bring some gospel. There's some people that are just positive evangelists. They bring joy and good news wherever they go. And then there's some people that it is joy and good news whenever they leave. You know, just, okay, you're gone. You're, you're, you've left me. Is it just me, or do I have to urinate in here? I mean, this, this sound of this, <laughs> this sound of this constant trickling, I, I feel like I've got my hand in a warm bag of water or something like that, you know? We were trying to create this natural, lavish display of God's dwelling place, this utter abundance. That's what's, uh, that's what's happened, which, if you're on the balconies, this is one of the times the balconies had the primo seats. You folks have no idea what's up here. You can just hear and all that kind of stuff. But this is the imagery of God just abundantly overflowing with good news wanting to carry it to us. Now, let's look at another story. We'll come back to this one, Isaiah. Here's another one in the book of uh, 2 Kings, and it's one of the prophets. We tend to think of prophets, again, as these people who are always giving bad news. And sometimes prophets do give bad news. The bad news that when there is rebellion, when there is the ignoring of God, there, there is a justice system that God must uphold. Just as in our country, in our society, we realize that if there's not a justice system that operates properly, that deals with embezzlement, that deals with fraud, then something is wrong and society breaks down. So also the cosmos breaks down if there's not an ultimate standard, an ultimate being who is totally pure and somehow brings justice in the final analysis and in the grand scheme of things. And so prophets oftentimes are speaking this message to people. And we'll talk a, a little bit about that next week. But here's a prophet who, again, prophets are normally only seen as bad news givers, as guys who are angry. And we see numerous times this is not the case at all. In fact, we already saw the prophet Isaiah talking about the good news that God is a mother who will not forget you. Here's another one, an Old Testament prophet, Elisha. 
And what happens here is he's got a circle of followers, a circle of people he's building into, other you know, people he's trying to help understand God and maybe have the ability to do prophecy, all that stuff. And one of these guys is married and he dies. And here's an interaction that Elisha has with the wife of one of his dead friends. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? She says, your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little olive oil. Very interesting thing happening here in our society we are an individualistic society, and if something goes wrong with you, it's never going to trickle down. I mean, you could lose your savings, and then your kids or somebody might not have an inheritance or not, might, not have to take out, might have to take out more college debt. But basically, you make a mistake, it's on you, and that's basically where it stops. In this society, in all ancient cultures, it's much more, more of a communal society. The family lived and died together. It was their successes or their failures. And so here we have a guy that's in debt, I'm not sure if he's run up his credit cards or he has a, you know, a, a chariot payment or what he has, but he's, he's run up his debt. And now that he's dead, the system says there's no governmental bailout. There's nobody, somebody else going to just say, go into bankruptcy court and just we'll make it all good. No, your heirs have to work off the debt. And so this lady's sons are now going to be sold into slavery to work off this debt. In our country, our form of slavery was going to another continent, kidnapping people, bringing them back over the water, and forcing them to make us rich. That was our form of slavery. This form of slavery is entirely different. I've gotten myself into a pickle. I've, I've overstretched myself. I haven't planned properly. Somebody's going to make this whole, so I am going to put myself in debted servitude to you until I work off my debt. And so this woman is just noticing this is, this is the way it is. This is the way it is going to happen. What, what's powerful about this woman here, and this is very important, for us to understand the good news of God's lavish nature, we first have to understand the bad news. It's just like the market conditions, financial conditions. We don't really know how good things are financially unless we've been in a bad place. We just don't know. And this 